I feel so tempted. I feel so tempted to despair. I'm afraid. The weight of your silence is terrible. I pray, but I'm lost. Or am I just praying to nothing? Nothing, because you are not there. Father Rodriguez, silence. Heavy quote, heavy movie, but let's get to it because there's great questions to ask from a biblical perspective. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast at the Movies. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Pretty good, Brian. How you doing? I am doing well. What are what are we? What's the movie today? Today we're going to be talking about uh, the 2016 film Silence, directed by Martin Scorsese, who is not uh, unknown for his controversy with his Catholicism. But this is the story of uh, takes place during the 17th century of two Portuguese Jesuit priests who travel to Japan in an attempt to locate their mentor, played by Liam Neeson, who is rumored to have committed apostasy, that is, he left the faith, while at the same time they're trying to encourage and support other Christians in Japan during this very heavy time of persecution for Japanese Christians. It is not lightweight. It is not. It's two hours and 41 minutes, and you feel it. You really do. Yeah, it's kind of a building dread. But it before is. we get into the tough questions, can we just say, can we just maybe ponder how many people watched a Liam Nielsen movie waiting for him to like pull out the guns and just kill all the bad guys? I was really waiting for him to be like, <laughs> oh, the Christians have come. Bang, 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 you know, but uh, thankfully they didn't take his daughter during this. That's true. Uh, that's true. I have an unusual skill set. It includes leaving the church. No, <laughs> sorry, that's... That's really bad. But this film also has uh, Adam Driver, who a lot of people would know as Kylo Ren. I like him a lot. I love Adam Driver. Fantastic actor, uh, as well as Andrew Garfield, uh, who was the Spider-Man before Tom Holland in the Avengers and all that was happening. And then the rest of the cast, other than Kieran Hines, who... Some of you probably have no idea who that is, and that's fine. Mm. But the the majority of the cast are actually Japanese and Asian actors because they wanted to create... They wanted to actually use Japanese and Asian actors, which I thought was a, a brilliant idea rather than... Tom Cruise? You know what? I'm a fan of not having Tom Cruise in this film. I think that was a very wise choice yeah. on the on their end. But apparently, Martin Scorsese had been trying to make this film for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. He's uh, in um, Oklahoma right now. He is filming... Um, Killers uh, of the... Flower, Flower Moon. Moon. Yes. Yep. Uh, With De Niro and DiCaprio. story of the the Osage and the murders, which we're really excited about. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Well, it's here. neither here nor there. It is here. It's in Bahuska. It is. But that's not what we're talking about. So why does the main actor, why does the Jesuit priest turn away from God? So the main Jesuit priest... um, Hold on, we're we talking about Andrew Garfield, the main character, or Liam Neeson, the guy they're going for? The mentor. Gotcha. So the reason the mentor turns away from the Christian faith is because he doesn't want other people to suffer for his faith. Mm-hmm. So question, if, if, if something happens and an entire village is going to be destroyed unless you say Jesus is not Christ— and we're talking hundreds of people are now going to be ruthlessly slaughtered, murdered in heinous ways, would you say, no, Jesus is Lord, 
and they don't kill you. They let you live, but you have to watch as hundreds and hundreds of people are murdered before you. Would you say Jesus is Lord, or would you, at least out loud, recant the faith? Boy, I have no idea. It's a hard question. Now, I think that you and I have heard people say, no, I'm not going to deny my Lord, right? Mm -hmm. But that's if something was happening to us. Yeah. But if somebody holds a gun to my child's head and says, recant your faith, I am going to hesitate on my answer. Oh, yes. And that's what this film kind of deals with. Yeah, it's a big hesitation that you're all feeling right now. Yeah, going, are they saying that if it's okay to apostatize? And our response to that question is, that's not what we're talking about. Um, The film asks questions of its viewers that few pastors, I think, would be brave enough to ask from the pulpit, or even few theologians, because it's a little too close to home. But because it's film and it's pretend— Mm-hmm. There's a safety in asking the audience of these questions, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's scenarios that are hard to even dream of. It's even consider, right? But I appreciate—I think it's healthy for us to be like, wow, like I actually need to think through this and not just have like a right a quick answer yep. that feels easy. Could you—and for a lot of people, and especially within the film world, it's a cut-and-dry issue, right? Mm-hmm. Get in, save the princess, get out, yeah. overcome the addiction, fight off the bad guy, save your friends, you know, withstand. But this film takes its time. It is deeply methodical. It is highly philosophical. And it's a patient film. It demands your patience. It is, again, two hours and 41 minutes, and you feel every minute of that. It's a journey not only of, of distances between Europe and Japan, um, but it's also a journey of, of, of an individual, the main character, played by Andrew Garfield, in probably one of my favorite roles, period, that I've, I've seen, mm-hmm. on the question of what would you do for your faith, especially if all this stuff was happening to others. The first time I went water skiing, my, my dad gave me great advice on how to water ski. He forgot to tell me one thing, and that one thing was, when you crash, let go of the rope. And uh, of the rope handle. And so I clung on to it just like uh, in panic, (laughs) which just takes you deeper and deeper and deeper into the lake. Yep. Uh, And, you know, eventually I let go and, you know, a few seconds seemed like a long time. Right. It's a little bit of how this film felt was it just felt like you kept going deeper and deeper into despair, except there was no exhilarating fast part to it. Right. So, um, the person with whom I watched this film hated it to the nth degree really? because of that. Oh, yes. because, of, because it was slow and they thought it was tedious. They, and... they, they came for a fun film. And if you're coming for a fun film. What? <laughs> yeah, they, I think maybe I roped this person into watching it. And so uh, if that's what you're coming for, you're not going to enjoy it. So kind of, and we're saying this is spoiler alert here. Yeah. So Major the, spoilers. the two priests come to their mentor, yep. and then what, what is kind of their conclusions with well, what they're going to do? Interestingly enough, um, as Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield's character, when they finally get to Japan, they, they see just how bad the persecution actually is. Japan has cut itself off from all other influences, uh, militaristic, economic, governmental, and especially religious uh, against Christianity. And you can tell that the— the uh, Japanese citizens who are Christians are fearful Mm -hmm. to be Christians, but they can't go against their faith. And 
the persecution, I would even say torture yeah. that they experience, oh, yeah. it's it's haunting. Um, the film does not shy away uh, from the graphicness. Mm-hmm. Um, it is rated R, uh, not for language, not not even for gore, because it's not a gory film. It's hard to watch people hanging upside down with a small cut in their neck so the blood doesn't drain to their head and they pass out so they can experience the pain. Yeah. Wow. People being put on crosses and put in shallow waters so that they slowly drown and are beaten to death by waves bashing them up against the cross. It, And then the two Jesuit priests are watching and they can't do anything because they know if they intervene, they won't get to go to other villages and continue to um, uh, forgive their sins and have the Eucharist. It... It doesn't shy away from real-life persecution, but it puts us in the perspective of an observer who can do nothing. So when he talked about this idea of, like, doom, mm-hmm. that this film is only going to end one way, and you know it's only going to end one way, and it's just going towards that end slowly but relentlessly, could you have done any better? Mm. It, 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 it asks that question repeatedly. So the two Jesuit priests, they continue throughout this event, and they end up separating. And uh, both are captured. And uh, Adam Driver's uh, priest, uh, he is trying to save other Japanese Christians who are being drowned um, by um, uh, the military. And by doing so, he himself is actually drowned. So he dies before they even finish what they were trying to do. So then when Andrew Garfield finally, and there's still like 30 minutes left in the film, right? When he finally makes it to Liam Neeson's character, he finds Liam Neeson, his beard is shaved, his hair is long and pulled back, and he's wearing traditional Japanese clothes, not like the monks who are wearing other types of material. And then he is told, I did apostatize, that this spiritual mentor who poured into Andrew Garfield's character, to be strong and faithful, he begins to tell him, they don't understand Christianity. Another god, not a big deal. They already have so many gods that they can have. They don't even understand our language. They pray to the son of God. Yeah, the son of God, and they point to the star. And Liam Neeson is like, nope, you're going to be tortured. And he doesn't stop it. He's like, it's going to happen. You need to recant your faith to save these people. Do not let your pride of being a Christian lead to the harm. And you're just sitting there going, oh my gosh, everything. So as a, as a, as a Christian Protestant in America, I've been told, what? Stand up for your faith, no matter what happens. Yeah. And now here's the moment where these people are going to be killed if you don't say Jesus isn't Lord. But then they make it even easier. They say, you don't have to say Jesus isn't Lord. You just have to step on this picture of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to do, and we will stop murdering these people. And then he does. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's really interesting because there's a moment in the film where he's watching these people about to be killed, Father Rodriguez, Andrew Garfield's character, and he looks down at the image of Jesus and Jesus speaks to him. And interestingly enough, it's the voice of the priest at the very beginning who sent them on the mission. Mm-hmm. And the quote is this, that we hear Jesus, we, we think we hear Jesus talking to Father Rodriguez, and he says, come ahead now. It's all right. Step on me. I understand your pain. 
I was born into this world to share men's pain. I carried this cross for your pain. Your life is with me now. Step. Mm-hmm. And then he does. Mm-hmm. He recants his faith. The people are saved. And then there's still 25 minutes left in the film of him living out a private relationship with God, hiding it, so that other people aren't going to be persecuted for his private religion. Hmm. Yeah. And if that, if you're listening to that and you're going, that makes me uncomfortable or that unsettles me, that's the point of the film. Mm -hmm. The film asks you the question, what would you have done? I don't know. Yeah. The, the best I can do in answering that is just, to, you know, if, if you were to re- replace the main character making that decision with Jesus. Right. What would he have done in yeah. that moment? Would he have said, I am not Lord? <sighs> my, my answer is no, no, he would not have no, said he that. Would, not, would no. he have stepped on a picture of himself? Probably. Probably. Because you're just stepping on a picture. Yeah, you can justify that a right. lot easier. But the film makes it much more of a psychological journey uh-huh. yeah. that if yeah. Andrew Garfield's character does do this, then he is actually recanting yeah. his faith. Yeah, and it draws me to think about as well, you know, Jesus knew as he was going to the cross and in the garden before that and leading up to that, that his death on the cross also meant the death of so many others. Yeah. You know, uh, being God and human, you know, he knew. Who are the other people who are going to be killed in my name? Yeah. Or for my name? He would know, you know, all all of the children of God who would suffer and who are suffering. Yeah. Because he went through with the cross. But then the film asks a different question mm-hmm. and it's one that it's there from the beginning but it's only really understood i think by the end of the film uh and that is how do you see jesus because andrew garfield's character has a very clear distinction depiction in his mind of who jesus is and while we've been talking about what the christians are doing the film asks us what would Jesus do? You know, we, that, mm-hmm. that great question. But it goes beyond that. It's what do you think Jesus would want you to do? Mm-hmm. So for Andrew Garfield's character, he has it in his mind of what Jesus expects, demands, wants, and, what, and how Jesus would respond to all of these ideas. And then slowly but surely, he begins to ask himself these questions. Am I wrong with how I see Jesus? And I think the film presents an idea that not a lot of us are comfortable with. How do we see Jesus? More importantly, is it possible that we're idolizing our version of Jesus rather than actually seeing yeah. Jesus as Scripture? Yeah. There's a great prayer. I forget the gentleman who said it, but he says, when I pray to God, I pray that God would rid me of God. Mm. Being a Christian, we think about God differently than the rest of the world. We, we see Jesus differently. And to be a Christian means that we see Christ as God. The biggest change for us as Christians when it comes to our thinking is who God is. Before Christianity, God's a fairy tale made up, whatever. But when we become Christians, we have to learn who is this God? Who is this Jesus? And I think that as Christians, we kind of go through the rest of our life figuring all of this out. Now, there's some things that are obvious right from the bat. God is triune. 
God is love. Jesus was a man. He died. He rose again. Here's the responsibilities of the church. But it's easy for us to make idols off of the version of Christ that we like. Right. There's plenty of options out there, um, different interpretations of what Jesus really said and who he really was and what he really taught. And it's easy for us, I think, to commit and devote ourselves to a false image of Christ than the harder, more true version of who he is that we find in Scripture. Yeah, I think it also draws me to have sympathy for people with different experiences than me who have maybe chosen a different path than I think I would have chosen if I was in their place. It at least brings me some sympathy and at least makes me ask, like, maybe— Maybe they are following Jesus in their way, even though that seems culturally strange to me or weird to me or or different. Like, I can't pinpoint what they're doing that might be sinful or might be anti-Christian. You know what I mean when I say that. Um, But maybe I'm just missing what's actually happening because Mm -hmm. I have this assumed, idolized version of what the faith looks like and what Christ looks like. Now, I'm now this brings us to the final point. Is it healthy to deconstruct your faith? Ooh. Ooh, that, there's a yeah. lot of that going on. Yeah, I think in our culture, this idea of deconstructing of tearing things down and getting them to the most basic raw components and then even questioning those is deconstructing your faith healthy or beneficial? Yeah, and maybe we need to have a whole nother series on that because it's kind of even a buzzword right now. I heard one person kind of argue back and say, you could just switch out the word deconstruction with discipleship if it's in a healthy form where we're always deconstructing the negative, the things that we've brought in. Right. And Jesus is always discipling, and that means deconstructing out these old premises I had, these old ways of life. Right. And so there's part of that that's good. I think what we also see is uh, people can begin deconstructing and thinking like, how I used to believe this wasn't right. And so then they do make a good shift. Right. But then they never quit shifting and questioning and actually walking away from everything. Yeah, yeah. So we've had people who have come to this church from really dogmatic traditions, mm-hmm. and they and they're like, "Man, I realize like how the old church where we were, like mm-hmm. how it demeaned women, mm-hmm. was awful, and now I realize the Bible doesn't demand that I do that. Like women yep. can have a valuable place in ministry, and we're so thankful. And so they." There's been folks that have come here and lived in joy and freedom in that and served for years. Yeah. There are also people who would come here for a short season, but it's like they started the snowball. Right. And the next thing was like, because I don't believe this, I'm also questioning whether, like, is the Bible really true? Yeah. Could miracles have happened? Did God really create the world? Did Jesus really die? And it's like it never stopped for them. So we've kind of seen both. And so that's one of the reasons that I love things like the Apostles' Creed. It's this great summation of the faith. Here's what you really, this is what you have to believe to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things within the creed uh, that isn't covered. Things that some people would say, nope, this is the mountain that we die on. And we would say, well, those are secondary doctrinal issues that we can look at later. But to be a Christian, these these are the immovable essential truths that, that we have to adhere to questioning your faith heritage 
or your faith practice, I don't think is in and of itself a bad thing. All good systems of belief should be able to withstand scrutiny. Yeah. And, and and I think that you and I who study theology, we do this all the time. We read a certain perspective that we disagree with, but if we're unable to explain why or point to scripture or church history or reason why it's wrong, then maybe it's a more of a, I disagree, uh, but God bless you and Godspeed. Mm-hmm. And there you go. I think one of the reasons that so many young people are deconstructing their faith in unhealthy ways right now is because they come from a church tradition that only bothered deconstructing secular worldviews mm. and never questioned themselves. Right. And they ended up without integrity and doing damage. And so that breeds the cynicism and skepticism of, I don't know that you even believe what you say. Yeah. So, so I, I think you're absolutely right. I think most generations can spot a fraud Yeah. a, a mile away. Yeah. Um, but because of my generation and the generation after, man, cynicism and skepticism is our bread and butter yeah. because we've been told to question everything, but we were never told to question why we should question everything. <laughs> yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, well, how, how does that kind of work? Yeah. So silence really does address three major ideas, and that's going to be how do we actually react under persecution? Not the stories, not the glorified versions, but how do we actually act under persecution? Uh, the second is going to be what version of Jesus are we in love with or idolizing? And the second thing is, is there a healthy way for us to kind of reassess our faith and our faith tradition? I hope you've enjoyed this episode. This has been a tough episode, I think, to get through. Yeah. And I want to just say thank you to those of you who are experiencing persecution at some level. Yeah. We have listeners around the world in different places. Thank you for your faith and for hanging on to the scripture. And I'll just say the echo back is for us to be encouraged by your example, yeah. that even when times of persecution may come or have come, that we would look to the God of the Bible and to the, the church to sustain us and hold us in those times. I, c- can we do a fun movie next? Yes. Let's, let's, let's do a fun okay, movie next. Okay, so there's a fun movie that's new. Okay. And, but it's out on streaming so people can watch it. Ooh, what is it? So, and you can watch it with your family. There's a couple of themes that you may just want to read up on, parental reviews. Yeah. But uh, older kids could certainly watch it. Um, the Hunt for Wilder People. It is... That a, doesn't... What? What does that even mean? It's a delight. You got to watch it and come back next week. But what we're really going to talk about is the sense of belonging and why that's so important. Ah... It's a, it's a deep movie, even though it's super fun and it'll keep you guessing and it's fast and great. I like movies like that. Deep movies that are fun and enjoyable. It's like a joke that comes with a lesson. It, it's, it's what it is. Awesome. Well, I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast. At the movies. I forgot to say it. Sorry. I got you I, covered. Thank you. Where we are looking for truth and popcorn in the noise. Line. <laughs>